they asked what she was doing and she said, well, she's looking at birds. And the headsmen were really puzzled and they asked her, so are you doing this because there are no jobs, you know? So that was, <laughs> that was, you know, they, they didn't consider that a serious job, you know? So, but if you can get to the point where, you know, people begin to recognize that this is something that you can do professionally. This is also something that you can do for fun then I think it will go a long way, you know, in getting more people to, you know, also participate and also engage, you know, to be a part of it. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, the soon-to-be-renamed Eyes on Conservation podcast. Today, for this episode, we have another Wildlands member. All the way from Lagos, Nigeria, we have Esther Nososeogi. Esther is a science journalist who joined the collective this last year. Esther, how are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I am doing also very well. Thank you so much. Really, really excited that we're able to do this episode. I'm excited that you produced this, and I really, really just pumped for us to be able to share this with the larger EOC audience why don't you start by just telling the, the listeners a little bit more about the guest, who this person is, and what your connection is with them. Okay. Um, Dr. Samuel Ivandie is a lecturer with the AP Levensis Ontological Research Institute in the Department of Zoology at the University of Just Nigeria. Because I also did my master's program at that institute, Dr. Sam taught me Dr. Sam, as you refer to him, has done a lot of work around migratory birds that migrate between Europe and Africa. And kind of tell us, like, introduce the subject a little bit to us and, and a little bit about what we're going to be listening to. Okay. Basically, we're going to be talking about how that these migratory birds are global birds. And so the effort for both understanding and conserving them would need to be international, like people would need to collaborate internationally. And it's not just enough for people to collaborate internationally. We also need people working locally. We're going to be talking about the challenges with doing that here in Nigeria, where we're both based, and what Dr. Sam and some other people are doing about it. Sounds like a really, really difficult task to undertake. So let's hear what you and Dr. Sam had to talk about. Apart from the fact that you studied migratory birds for your PhD, you have also done some work on migrants. Yeah. So I'd like to know what particularly intrigues you about these migratory birds, you know, for you to choose study for your PhD and then with the other projects you've been involved with around migrants. So migratory birds are really interesting birds. So first of all, migration is seasonal uh, movements or seasonal return movements that animals make. So in the case of birds, you have birds that we undertake movements from one part of the world to another part of the world and uh, during the particular season or time of the year. And these are return movements because after a given period, they then return to um, the original environment where they have migrated from. So these seasonal movements, which happen at certain times of the year and are movements that the birds make repeatedly, um, is what we refer to as migration. And in birds, it's very fascinating because you have birds that will spend some part of the year in a different part of the world and then move to other parts of the world. So that's really fascinating. And the particular group that I worked with are birds that will breed in Europe during the European summer when the conditions are really good, the environmental conditions 
oceans are warm, there are lots of insects. And then after the European summer, they then migrate from Europe all the way across the Mediterranean, across the um, Sahara Desert, all the way to sub-Saharan Africa. And they will spend the non-breeding period in sub-Saharan Africa, which is uh, also the period when it is um, our dry season. And they will be here for... Um, the winter, so it's winter in Europe, it's the dry season in Africa, so they are here in sub-Saharan Africa. It's too cold for them in Europe, so they are out here in the tropics. And uh, once they are done, they then begin to return to Europe again when it's a summer to breed. So this return movement is really fascinating. And for me, particularly, I had heard about this, so I also did my master's at um, APLORI, the AP Leventis Ontological Research Institute. And um, as part of the topics that we were taught, we learned about migration. And soon after completing my master's, I had an experience where I traveled somewhere for field work. We were looking at birds and some people came to me with rings. And so rings are some of these metals that we put on birds to track their movements. You put them around the legs of the birds and, you know, you can tell where the birds has been trapped and ringed. And when somebody retraps the bird, they are able to tell where the birds has been from. And those birds, the rings that were brought to me were taken from birds that had come to us from Finland. So that wow. was my first experience of, yeah, all the way from Finland. So it was my first experience, you know, of um, some of the things I had learned in class about migration. And now this was very real. And uh, those birds happened to be ospreys. They had been ringed in Finland as chicks in the nest. And then they had uh, undertaken the migration all the way from Finland. And we got them somewhere around Taraba State in Nigeria. And so it was really um, interesting to hear about this. Although, unfortunately, um, those rings were brought to me because those birds had died. So local fishermen had retrieved those rings because those birds had um, tried to feed on fish that was also trapped in fish traps and so they the birds got trapped themselves and they died mm. but at least that experience um was like um eye-opening for me you know into the world of migration and so soon after that the opportunity came for me to do a phd and i was really intrigued you know by migration and was really lucky also because the phd scholarship was supposed to be on the study of migratory birds so it was a really good opportunity for me and I really enjoyed spending time learning a, a bit more about migration in birds for the period that I did the PhD. So in migratory birds, it teaches us that the world is a global village, you know, it's just such a exactly, small Exactly, that's right. So you can imagine, you know, uh, birds fledged in Finland, mm -hmm. then making their way all the way to um, a local village in Taraba State in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. You can imagine the connection. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, when I got the rings back, you know, I copied out the numbers and wrote an email to the museum uh, that was responsible for that ringing exercise and that, uh, that project. And, you know, they wrote back to me very quickly and said, oh, this is what we have. And, you know, I realized the connection that we have. And for the um, researchers and the scientists on the other end of this experience that was going on or this exchange between myself and someone based in Finland. You know, it was really interesting because uh, the guy on the other end was really interested in, you know, asking me to describe the environment where I had found these rings, asking me to describe the conditions in which those birds were spending the non-breeding period. So clearly that's, you know, emphasized the connection that we have 
and how birds help to connect you know our world it's really it's really fascinating when you see all of these things and of course on my own part i was asking lots of questions about you know the conditions where these birds had been hatched and where they had spent their early early months before migrating out to africa so birds really do connect our world and they just show us how connected we are if there is one thing we can take away from that, we can see that our actions in different parts of the world may also impact things in other parts of the world. So our world is indeed connected and birds help us to see that connection. This would mean that, you know, what, since what we would do like, would impact some other part of the world, so it would also mean that um, our efforts to conserve these birds would not, you know, it would need to be as diverse as the locations that they range across. That is right. Very correct. So it means if we have to do something about them, you know, to ensure that these birds are conserved and are properly looked after, then it means that you have people working on the European end. So in this our example in Finland, for example, you need people working on that end. And you need you also need people working on the Nigerian end or on the African end. And of course there are lots of stopovers that these birds will utilize during the migratory journey. So you can imagine that the bird leaving Finland and coming all the way to Nigeria will have to make several stops along the way. Some of these sites are used for refueling. And it's also important that those sites are in good conditions because if the birds are unable to find the resources they need to complete the journey, then it means that they indeed cannot make it all the way to the non-breeding habitats. So you have lots of habitats that need to be conserved if these birds are to be well managed. So breeding habitats where they are coming from, um, the stopover sites, um, often it's in the Mediterranean for most of the Afro-Paleatic migrants. So birds that migrate between Europe and um, Africa, lots of collaborations are, are needed for the conservation and management of uh, migratory birds. That means, you know, for us to be able to conserve these migrants effectively, we need to gain better knowledge of their ecology, of their movements, you know, as we collaborate with international colleagues. Yes, that is very important. Let me give you another example. The Egyptian vulture is also a bird that spends uh, the breeding. So parts of the population breed in Europe and then they migrate again to Africa uh, for the non-breeding period. And I'm currently involved in a study that is funded by the European Union. And it involves about 13 different organizations working across these two continents. As a matter of fact, three continents. And, you know, different different countries, about 13 countries, 13 organizations all coming together to work for the conservation of the Egyptian vultures. Vultures in particular, as you probably um, already know, are one of the most um, endangered group of birds. And the migratory ones amongst them are even at higher risk because the challenge they face is uh, spread across the different habitats that they use in space and time. So obviously it's a big task, but um, with the collaborations such as the ones that we are involved with, it is possible. But it just goes to highlight the need for collaboration with lots of organizations, lots of people working in different areas, you know, across the range of the, the species that use all of this habitat between continents and um, amongst different countries. Let's talk about your work. I mean, if we talk about international collaboration, it has to start from somewhere. So there, yeah. there need to be, yeah. you know, people working locally. What What do you consider to be like the most important, the greatest obstacle or difficulty, you know, to your work? One thing I will very clearly say, having worked with other people in other parts of the world, is that there tends to be a bit more focus, a bit more interest, a bit more investment in the conservation 
of birds and other biodiversity in this case more in the west than it is in this part of the world so first of all you kind of have environmental science or you know the study of wildlife or wildlife management not really being a priority in this part of the world so first of all that's one one challenge and sometimes you know when i tell people that I am working with birds, you know, they, some people think it's a joke uh, <laughs> and some people wouldn't really consider that to be, you know, something that someone should be seriously doing. So we have those sort of challenges, you know, where there is, um, you know, kind of like a lack of awareness about the need to do the sort of work that we we do with conserving birds. But again, I, I can say that it's, it's changing but there is room for improvement. So it's one of the problems that we have, the study of birds or birds, bird observation, and not only birds, other wildlife. It's not a culture that we have. It's not something that we really prioritize in this part of the world. So that can be a bit challenging. And I can give you instances where I've gone to do field work and, you know, I go with the equipment that I need, my binoculars, a telescope, and I, um, you know, looking out for birds or trying to um, observe and record um, some things about birds. And, you know, people will come around and, you know, they have different ideas about what you're doing and they think maybe what you're doing is suspicious. So you have some of these um, challenges and, you know, some people might tell you, oh, no, well, we don't really want you in our environment because we don't believe that it is birds you're looking at. You're probably looking at something else so those are some of the some of the challenges that you have you know like a lack of awareness and a lack of support and of course uh, the funding to do this sort of work is also something that local governments here do not necessarily provide so you find that most of the time when we have to do this sort of work you get you need funding you know from international organizations who um, tend to be the ones who appreciate or you know encourage this sort of work when I was in the university, you know, my undergraduate days, I mean, we were all studying zoology, but some of my classmates thought it was ridiculous that, you know, people would go out to the field <laughs> <laughs> to study yes. to study birds or bats, you know, and they were like, like, what what are you doing? Like, what's that rubbish? You understand? Yes. Don't, so, don't we all have those stories? Yeah. So, so for those of us who study zoology, for example, I'm sure if you ask uh, more than 80%, that's a conservative estimate, will tell you, well, I didn't apply to study this course. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of people ended up in this in this field or, you know, studying zoology or wildlife management, for example. They will tell you they didn't apply for it. They just ended up in these programs. So it just clearly shows that at the moment, these areas are not prioritized and it is something that actually needs to change, yeah. especially if we think about the connection that natural resources have on our livelihoods, our development, you know, as, as nations so, and, and as a people. And there's a lot that we benefit and rely on natural resources and our environment for. So we really need to change, you know, this attitude and this perspective towards nature and um, environmental studies. I know for me personally, when I start thinking about migratory birds, I don't think about a need for international cooperation. But what Dr. Sam is saying is that to effectively study these birds and to know what's happening to them, you have to know exactly what's going on in other parts of the world. Did you get a sense for the kind of struggle that that is? The difficulty is really with the local participation. So there is no international collaboration without um, you having people working locally, people on ground working locally. So it, it just takes all those local efforts to come together to have this international effort. And so the, I think the real challenge is with getting people interested. Yeah, right. So like the amount of 
effort that needs to happen on a local level is just massive. And the the next part that listeners are going to hear is really talking about how those efforts are cultivated and nurtured in a way that makes citizen science kind of just a natural state. Yeah, with the Nigerian Bread at Last project, which Dr. Sam is currently project manager of, they are trying to use citizen science to both get people aware and you know begin to collect data, which we don't have currently from different different parts of Nigeria, at least like concentrating this local effort so that while we try to get local people, especially young people involved, they are also trying to collect data to answer questions which will now contribute to this international effort, this international collaboration. Yeah, and that doesn't sound like an easy task. So let's let's hear how we did it. So let's talk about your experience with the Nigerian Bird Atlas project, Dr. Sam, and your and you know the efforts to garner local participation through it. The Nigerian Bird Atlas project is a project that we started at the end of 2015. So from the get-go, the Nigerian Bird Atlas project was set up as a citizen science project with the aim to update information about the natural history of birds in Nigeria. So we were faced with the task of getting members of the public from a society that is not necessarily used to or that does not necessarily have a culture of bird watching. We were fortunate enough to have the AP Leventis Ornithological Research Institute that had trained um, over 100 Nigerians and West Africans in conservation biology and in um, ornithology. So it was on the basis of this that we felt like we had at least the underlying framework that was going to support this project. I really love looking at birds. And then I studied birds, you know, also professionally as an ornithologist. But then I also really wanted to get other people, you know, to share this passion with me. So I've always had a, you know, like a soft spot for citizen science. And so when the idea came up to start a bird atlas project and I was on ground, you know, I got involved in the project. So I currently manage that project. I'm responsible for the day-to-day management of the Nigeria Bird Atlas project. I also help with um, providing strategic direction, you know, for recruiting and promoting public engagement and participation for the project. So that's um, what I do. And through this project, we are updating information about the distribution of birds in Nigeria. So tell us, since I mean, since 2015, how far have you know have you come with achieving your objectives? So one of the first things that we needed to do was to try and build and develop this culture amongst um, Nigerians. So we started out with the idea to start bird clubs. But the idea of the bird clubs was not entirely a new idea because before the Bird Atlas project, there were two bird clubs in Nigeria. So there was a bird club in Lagos, in Leki, so the Leki Bird Club, and then there was another bird club in Ibadan, the Ibadan Bird Club. But the interesting thing is that most of these bird clubs were um, largely constituted of experts, so people coming from other parts of the world working in Nigeria who already had that culture of bird watching. So we had to you know look for strategies to get more people involved with bird watching uh, locally. So bird clubs were mainly centered and formed around their plurry alumni who had the skills to identify the birds and who were very versed in the methods you know for recording birds. But then with the bird clubs, these skilled personnel were then going to train and help other people to learn about birds. And in the setting of a bird club, it was very informal and so people could you know have fun while learning about birds. There are friendly competitions between people So you are keeping a bird list, for example, for your home garden or your home pentad. And, you know, you are 
comparing that with someone else who is also keeping a list, you know, and so you get to motivate each other. You have fun doing these things. It's quite social, you know. It has a way, you know, of helping people to also relax. So we set out to start bird clubs. And one of the things we did was to visit as many alumni as we now had spread all over the country. So from two bird clubs that we had in Nigeria before the Atlas started, we currently now have about 25 bird clubs in Nigeria. And the good thing is that the new bird clubs that we now have are bird clubs that are largely composed of local bird watchers. As of the last time that we did an inventory or kind of like a survey of all our bird clubs, we had we had more than 800 members. We are now being able to update information about the natural history of birds in Nigeria. And we are doing that much faster than we would have done if we uh, relied only on professionals. I think that is a really remarkable thing for um, our society. And it's getting people to, you know, begin to pay more attention to the environment and, you know, participate actively in, you know, the discourse. Yeah, I, I think it's remarkable too. An app was developed to help people better enjoy the experience and then to make the data collection process much more efficient. It helps the data collection process, makes it easy. Um, as part of the Atlas project, people have to go to specific areas or grid squares as, or pentads as we call them, and then they have to record the birds and keep the list. And the app helps people, you know, to find these uh, pentads, and you can also use through the app, you can also keep the list and you are able to then submit that list electronically through the app and it goes straight to the project database. Of course, prior to this, there was an online portal through which people had to make their list in their field notes and then come back and then type in this list into the online portal. But with the mobile phone app, that has helped us, you know, like standardize the whole data collection process. Local participation and especially young people participation has increased. From what you've said, this Atlas project is getting a lot of people involved and actively participating. So do you, how do you see this influencing international collaboration? Quite recently, we have been working with other colleagues in Ghana. Um, Ghana also wants to start a bird atlas project. We have been working with colleagues in Liberia through the uh, bird life partner in Liberia. We are working with them to start a, a, a bird atlas project and also in Sierra Leone. So more international collaborations have been coming up, you know, through this, through projects like this. And the bird atlas project has been one that has promoted this participation. And I can imagine that this increased local participation and international collaborations would help migrant birds, right? Yeah, definitely. So with the migratory birds, one key thing that uh, migrants or one key characteristic of migrants is that they use habitats spread out, you know, very wide ranging habitats. So you can imagine habitats in Europe, habitats in Africa. And it also means that when they are here, they also use, you know, a wide range of habitats. So you can imagine how demanding it will be if you were interested in doing surveys for migrants across all of Nigeria as maybe as an individual or as, you know, a small research team. But with the citizen science, you have more eyes looking all over the country. And this is, of course, beneficial for migrant conservation because you cannot conserve species if you don't know where they are. You can think about it, you know, a few years down the line when we look at all of the data that is been is coming in from you know all of these citizen scientists and telling us where they have seen birds, we should be able to tell, you know, where distributions have changed. For example, maybe 
uh, due to habitat loss, we will be able to tell, you know, what is going on with the sort of data that this project is currently generating. So, of course, this has been a great benefit for migratory birds and the study and conservation of these birds as well. You know, we'll be able to at least have an idea of how climate change might be affecting birds in different locations locally. Of course. So with the kind of data that citizen science projects such as the Bell Atlas provide, we can then begin to attempt to answer those sort of questions. You know, climate is the, something that you know, we put together over a long period of time and over large areas. So the sort of data that the Bell Atlas provides can help us to begin to answer those sort of questions, including questions about the impact of the changing climate on migratory birds. Uh, migrants particularly are one of the groups of uh, birds that are most impacted by the changing climate because the migratory movements are usually triggered by local changes in the environment. For example, birds that breed in Europe during the summer will migrate to Africa because the conditions in Europe during the winter are not as favorable as they were during the summer. And of course, we know what the impact of um, the changing climate has been on the seasons as well. And if you also think about the birds when they are now in sub-Saharan Africa during the non-breeding season, they are here during the dry season. And of course, there are resources that are available to them during this season. And with the changing climate, you know, again, we have changing seasons or the length of seasons being affected. So, you know, questions like this can only be answered when we have data. And with such projects, we can then begin to get the right amount of data to be able to begin answering these questions. Do you think that we can do more in terms of local participation? Of course, while the improvement has been quite remarkable, I think we can still do more. It is not impossible to get more. Currently, we can say that uh, now we may we can safely say there are about a thousand bird watchers in Nigeria. But if you think about the population of a, of this country, you know, close to two hundred million, as some people would say, then um, a bird watching community of a thousand is actually really small. So we need to do more, and um, local participation is definitely supposed to increase if we can actually make the kind of impact that we would like to make. If we can go from you know just about the hundred people who were looking at birds professionally to about a thousand people now who are looking at birds in Nigeria, that can be seen as remarkable progress. But of course, we need to do better, and it means that we also need to continue to promote this and to encourage more participation from more young people, more you know people of of from diverse backgrounds. And so, of course, we can do this by continuing to include this as part of, you know, maybe the education curriculum. And then we also need to promote this as a social activity that people can also enjoy. So promoting this as a social activity is also something that can get, you know, people from diverse backgrounds to participate. Because when you go out bird watching and people see you, they really think you are not serious. Now, we just very quickly share an experience that um, a colleague told me. So she was out in the field looking at birds and she met some herdsmen in the bush and they asked what she was doing. And she said, well, she's looking at birds and the herdsmen were really puzzled. And they asked her, so are you doing this because there are no jobs? You know, so that was <laughs> that was, you know, they, they didn't consider that a serious job. You know, so but if you can get to the point where, you know, people begin to recognize that this is something that you can do professionally. This is also something that you can do for fun. 
then I think it will go a long way, you know, in getting more people to, you know, also participate and also engage, you know, to be a part of it. Eventually, we'll begin to see the impact and all of the, the, the benefits of doing this. So it's something that we really need to promote. I was also recently talking about, you know, this aspect of bird watching, And I also said there are also health benefits to doing this. So sometimes people are, are told to take walks and these are health walks. You just have to walk, you know, a certain distance is exercising. But I said that you can combine that with bird watching. So if you have to walk one kilometer, you know, as uh, maybe for, for exercising and you decide that in that one kilometer walk, you want to put down the number of birds the different bird species that you have seen that then gives you you know something else to 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 keep you occupied while you do your work some people really enjoy going you know going on hikes climbing rocks and mountains and all of those those sort of places you can combine that with you know bird watching and put down the list of birds that you have seen while doing this that can also make it a lot more interesting so yes we just need to get creative about this is there any question which you think which i didn't ask which you'd like to address when we talk about birds, it's not necessarily just about the birds. Birds are kind of like a window for us to get a better understanding of what is going on in our environment and also to kind of help us to understand what our impact on the environment can have on other biodiversity. So we as humans, we share the earth with lots of other organisms and the interactions that go on between ourselves, the environment, all the other organisms are some of the things that provide the services that we also rely on. So it's really important that we pay more attention to, you know, the environment and ecosystems as a whole. Particularly when we talk about migratory birds, then it means that we are then able to get a window on what is going on, not only in our local environments, but also what is going on internationally. So if, for example, we don't treat our environments right, then it means that the migratory birds that depend on the environments here, some of them are lost. And then the people in the other parts of the world may begin to notice that the populations are declining because of what is happening here. And it is also vice versa. So if the people on the other end of the world do not treat the environments right, then the population of the migrants that then eventually arrive in sub-Saharan Africa will be less. Birds are just a window for us to get a better understanding of what goes on around us and for us to understand what our impacts might be on the environment and on other wildlife. So thank you very much, Dr. Sam, for your time. You're welcome. My pleasure. I love that Dr. Sam talks about trying to basically create a pastime of bird watching when it's like it's he kind of starts with nothing and then or like a very small group but he he's like him and the people that he's working with are are actively creating this community that are having a real international impact on some of these birds so we're talking about a a hobby really that citizens can participate in they're doing science but this is not something that is just commonplace in, in his area and so like this idea that you're helping to actively create this community and this culture of active citizen science engagement what a challenge uh, like what what's your impression of of the task at hand and how far the community has come I think it's it's a really huge challenge. But I think it's really impressive that we've gone from so little to so much. I mean, it's something that, of course, there's room for improvement and it's not like where it could be. You know, it's not like the best yet. It really says something that there are actually people who are getting interested and saying, yeah, we want to look at birds. We want to do this. 
maybe it does have a long way to go, but it's already come such a long way, it sounds like. And that is such a breath of fresh air for, for any type of conservation issue like that. Well, it's pretty incredible to hear about, and it's exciting to know that um, efforts like this are happening all over the world. Esther Nosiyogi, thank you so much for producing this piece for the Eyes on Conservation podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, sis. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wildlandscollective where you can have access to an extended cut of this episode. For as little as $1 per show, and we make about 2 to 3 in a month, you can help us continue to bring these interesting stories to you and even improve how we bring them. So please head over to patreon.com slash wildlandscollective right now and support us. Thank you. <laughs>